If you have your Bible open, you can keep it open at Zechariah chapter 4. Just this week, Caroline um, read something to me from one of our kids, um, devotional books um, that, that she had read with one of the boys, and it said this. It said, question, what do these things have in common? A man on a horse, four horns, a measuring tape, a burning stick, a golden lampstand, two olive trees, a flying scroll, four chariots, a crown and a woman in a basket. Answer, they all feature in eight wild visions that God gave Zechariah to encourage God's people in Judah. There you go. You're probably thinking that sounds more like something from Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or something like that. Um, but those things are from the book of Zechariah. Um, you're probably thinking, is this all this guy's going to preach on, like these crazy Old Testament passages? Um, well, the Lord is just leading me that way at the moment. Bear with me. Um, we do preach a lot from the New Testament as well, but this is where we are. Actually, this week, this week I was going to preach on something totally different um, from the New Testament, uh, and God stopped me in my tracks. And the Spirit of God put this passage on my heart. Um, and I have worked really hard with this this week. So you're going to listen really, really well, aren't you? The, <laughs> this is a difficult passage. There's strange things going on here. Um, but there's an incredible message in what we're going to work through here. Um, so um, God, is, God is speaking to us. The book of Zechariah is a wild ride. It's full of startling images, visions. Um, poems that don't really follow any kind of linear pattern um, or, or uh, that don't really make any kind of sense. But that is part of the point, actually. Human life on earth doesn't always fit into neat, orderly patterns. And yet what we see in the book of Zechariah and in what we're going to study this morning and think about as God speaks to us is that, that God's guiding hand is at work even amidst the chaos of life. When things feel chaotic, when life is all over the place, God is still at work. The Spirit of God is at work. Is anyone in church really thankful for that this morning? Yeah, that in the chaos of life, when things feel confused and all over the place, that the Spirit of God is still at work in our lives. During Zechariah's time, which was around 520 BC before Christ came, things needed rebuilding. A bit of background, the temple in Jerusalem was in absolute disrepair, possibly a pile of rubble. And the people of God need rebuilding as well. And um, the people had returned to the city of Jerusalem, um, God's city, but uh, it was an absolute mess. Things were all over the place. Confidence among the people of God was really low. Their hearts were really heavy. And there might have been that feeling among God's people of, God, where are you when I need you the most? God, where are your promises for me? I don't see them, I don't sense them, I can't see your hand upon me. Confidence was really, really low. I wonder, do you ever experience times in your life whenever your confidence is really low? Maybe even your confidence in God can be really, really low. Or, or maybe those times in life, and maybe you're in this place in life at the moment where you feel like you're battling life, 
you're battling work, you maybe feel up to your neck with your work, or maybe your family life is all over the place, uh, maybe it's just the daily grind and, and you feel like you're doing it all in your own strength, you've been doing it for far too long, or maybe you feel like your Christian faith has become f- very human, like you're trying to muster up faith, you're trying to battle on in your Christian life all on your own, in your own strength, in your own power. Maybe this talk of a fresh move of God just feels overwhelming for where you're at right now. I understand that. Maybe you're thinking, goodness, it's okay for you standing up there and and talking about this stuff, but I feel really low. My confidence is low. I can't sense God. I'm struggling with life at the moment, never mind faith. Well, this morning is going to be good for you. This morning is going to be really good for you. Be really encouraged today. In some ways, I I want to take the pressure off, okay? I want us to take the pressure off. I want to release a valve within our hearts and minds as we're reminded this morning from this passage that it's not by might, okay? It's not by might. It's not by our power, but it's all by God's Spirit. Take the pressure off. I want you to sense that fresh wind of God's power at work in your life. And so chapter 4, Zechariah's fifth really strange night vision. Here's what we read in verses 2 and 3 if you're following along. We read this. I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it and with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. So we've got this really strange picture. It's wild in many ways. What on earth is going on in this passage? Well, let's break it down into three headlines. Here's what I think we can see um, from Zechariah chapter 4. The lampstand, going to come to this in a moment, points us to the church. The bowl that we see points us to the Holy Spirit. And these two trees that we see in this passage, in this wild vision, actually, when we break it down and think it through and ask God for its meaning, they point us um, to the Lord Jesus. So the lampstand, in the immediate context, what we see here with this lampstand and the seven lamps, this represents God's presence in the Jerusalem temple. In the first instance, that's what um, the prophet is being shown. And in verse 9, the message comes from heaven's headquarters through Zechariah that the work of rebuilding the temple of God in Jerusalem will be completed. So there's the good news. Confidence straight up. A word of confidence. There we go. It's going to be done. The work is going to be done. The temple will be rebuilt. So we've got these lamps with, uh, these lampstands with lights or lamps on them and they're burning And this has given Zechariah a a picture of the presence of God, the holy presence of God. As I thought about these lampstands, I couldn't help but cast my own mind forward to Revelation chapter 1, where we see the seven lampstands that refer to the seven churches. And the letters that follow in Revelation bring really specific messages to each of the churches and the most important thing in each case is this he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit of God is saying to the church 
And for us this morning, let's have an ear to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us right now here in Carmoney. Do you? What is the Spirit of God saying to you? So in the first instance, in the immediate context of this passage, what we see is that this lampstand speaks of the temple which would be rebuilt. But how does this speak to us today as the church? The church of Jesus Christ. Well, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said these familiar words. He said to the church, you are the light of the world. You are a city on, a, on Carmoney Hill that cannot be hidden. Well, Carmoney's not in the text, but you're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And Jesus said, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a, under a basket or under a bucket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In John chapter 1, Jesus is referred to the light of the world. He is the light of the world. But Jesus then turns it around and he says to us as the church, you are the light of the world. You are that city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You're not to hide your lamp under a bucket. You're to let it shine for all to see. Isn't that who we are? Isn't that who we see ourselves as here in Carmoney Church? We understand that we're the light of the world. We're a house of prayer for this nation. We want to be a people who seek God and who bring to this world what we hear from heaven, that we would speak about the love of God, that we would point people to life in all of its fullness in Jesus. So the lampstand that we see here points us to the church. But what about the bowl? There's a bowl in this passage on top of the lampstand. What does that point us to? Well, what we see here is that there's this abundant supply of oil being funneled into this bowl from two olive trees on either side. And the oil in the bowl then supplies the lampstand to keep the flames burning. It's an incredible picture of abundance. Just like the lampstand in this vision is supplied with resources from outside of itself, so Zerubbabel will rebuild the temple, not in his own strength, but in a power from outside that comes from God. That's what we see here. In the power of God's Spirit, the temple will be rebuilt. God who supplies unending oil to us as his people. And so the oil in Zechariah's vision is the fuel that would be needed to keep the fire burning. And this points us this morning to the fuel that is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. He is the one who supplies the fuel that we need. He is the one who sets the lamp on fire. He is the one who burns within the hearts of God's people. Clearly God wanted Zechariah to speak a message to those who were there who thought that they could do it all in their own strength. God wants Zechariah to make known that you cannot do it in your own strength, that it is not possible. And so the message comes through loud and clear. And this is the key verse that I want us to think about this morning. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by strength, it's not by your own might, but it's by my spirit. 
The word for might here is a reference to like collective strength. So it's, it's not the strength of a, a, a whole group of people or an army even. It's not that kind of strength that we need. It's not power. Power in this verse speaks of individual kind of strength or might. It's not that. It's not power within a group or the, it's not the resources of many or, or, or the resources of one person. It's the Spirit of God that we need as the people of God. We need his spirit to be at work. And the word again is ruah, same word that we've been thinking about over these last weeks. The spirit, the breath, the wind of God. Can you sense his presence this morning as we worship him in this place? Now listen to me. Only the abundant supply of oil in our bowl can keep this church burning for generations to come. Only the abundant supply of oil in our bowl can keep this church burning for generations to come. This church is how many years old? I can't do the miles. 300 and something big. This is an old church. Spirit of God has kept this church burning for over 300 years. Can we see another 300 years more? Spirit of God at work in this place if the Lord Jesus hasn't come back by then. Yeah, only an abundant supply of oil, the power of the Holy Spirit will keep this church burning for generations to come. For our children and our children's children. And for all who are to come. You young people in the room, a word for you again. A couple of parents said to me during the week, thanks for giving a word for the young people. And it is important, you young people, you listen to me for a moment. Parents, give them a nudge if they're half asleep there beside you. This Christian life, right, that we're talking about, that, we, that I preach about, that we talk about all the time in this church, this Christian life, is not all about your own ability, your own strength to try to live for God. It's not about that. We wouldn't want it to be that way for you where you think you have to be strong enough to live for Jesus. That you have to kind of find the strength within yourself as you go to school or as you go and meet with your friendship groups. This Christian life is much, much more than that. There is a power supply, you young people, that's greater than you. There's a, a, a power supply that's available to you. It's not just for older people like me and others sitting around this church family. There's a power supply that is available to you from God. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. You, like me, like each of us, you need his presence and power in your life. If you're a Christian young person, you pray with all of us that God would work in your life by his spirit, that you would feel strength and energy and power and passion from him, that it's not just mustered up in your own strength. A quote that I love from uh, K.S. Latourette, he was a former professor at Yale University, he was a church historian and author, and he speaks about Pentecost, the day of Pentecost and the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on that day. Listen to this. 
He says, the more one examines the various factors which seem to account for the extraordinary victory of Christianity, the more one is driven to search for a cause underlying them all. It is clear that at the very beginning of Christianity, there must have occurred, listen to this, a vast release of energy, virtually unequaled in all of history. Nothing else could explain the surge of the early Christian movement. What caused this release of energy lies outside the realm, he says, in which modern historians like him are supposed to move. And he continues, he says, before I am a historian, he says, I am human. How can I close my eyes to the obvious explanation that something supernatural happened? He's right, isn't he? Something supernatural and unprecedented happened on the day of Pentecost. There occurred a vast surge, a release of heaven's power. Gospel, the, the, gates, the floodgates opened and gospel power broke out. The power of the Spirit flooded through the streets of Jerusalem, spilled out into the streets of Judea and Samaria, and the waves and ripples of that continue this day in this church and throughout churches across the world. Praise God. Praise God that the floodgates opened, that the banks have broken, that the Spirit of God has been unleashed. Praise God that he's at work among us. It's not by human might or by our own power, but a move of the Spirit of God. The bowl in this incredible vision points us to the Holy Spirit. What about the trees? What about the two trees in this vision Zechariah gets? Well, I believe that these two trees point us to Jesus, the Son of God. Speaking of these two olive trees in verse 14, we read that these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. A better translation actually of that verse would be that these are two who bring oil. These are the two who bring oil. And this is important for us to understand because we need to know where the oil is coming from. We read that these two who bring oil, they stand by the Lord of all the earth. In other words, there's a sense of, of privileged access to the Father. They're bringing oil from heaven, the Spirit of God coming from heaven and out into the lives of his people. There's some debate, um, but the two olive trees or branches anointed to serve the Lord are commonly identified as Joshua and Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, was, he occupied the position of governor in Judea. And this equated to the role of king. He was like the king of the land at this time. So he was the king. Joshua, on the other hand, was the high priest at this time. The king and the high priest. And they're helping to supply this oil into um, the lampstand. You see, these two trees in this vision represent two leaders in the day who are charged to do God's work in the power of God's spirit. But this combination of royalty and priesthood point to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who all together, all at once, is our prophet, priest, and king. He is the one who has gone into the heavenly places. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He is our great high priest. He is the high king of heaven. He is the one who occupies the privileged position at the right hand of the Father. 
And so it's life from the Son of God. He has poured his life into us by the Holy Spirit. The good news is that the helper has come. I'm going to finish with this. John 15 and 16. Jesus, in those moments when he's with his disciples, Jesus knows that his time on earth is coming to an end. He knows what awaits him in Jerusalem, that he's going to leave them. His physical presence will no longer be with his disciples, and he wants them to take heart. And in John 15, 26 to 27, Jesus says this. He says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then Jesus says, and you also will bear witness about me. The helper will come. Then in John 16, Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will declare to you the things that are to come and he will glorify me. It's incredible. Church family this morning, the the helper has come. The spirit of God has come. The helper is here. And as we gather this morning, I really felt that God was impressing this upon my heart. That if you are struggling and straining in your own strength, if the weight of the world feels like it's upon your shoulders, you've come into church with a heaviness upon you, you've been battling and fighting, talk of a fresh move of God feels too far beyond you. I want to announce and declare over your life again that the helper has come. The helper has come. You have a helper with you, in you, the Spirit of God. And so the message to us this morning, as we advance through this season, as we keep moving forward, believing in a fresh move of God, and I'm believing for this, as we believe God is going to renew us deep within individually, collectively, as a church. Let's take the pressure off. Let's lay down our own fighting, our own battling, our own striving it out in our own strength. The word of God comes to us today and the Lord Jesus would say to us, not by your might, nor by your power, but by my spirit. Surrender to me again and let me work in and through you.